This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. And hello. <laughs> hello, Claudette. Hello, Linda. Thursday afternoon and all. I was, I don't know why, but suddenly I, I, I almost said, oh, we're heading into the weekend. But uh, that's I a little know. bit of wishful thinking. <laughs> yes, it does feel a little like a Friday. It, it does for some reason, but uh, here we are uh, nonetheless, and uh, tomorrow is another day. Well, um, the Premier is just back from a trip to Dubai in the United Arab, Arab Emirates as part of a healthcare recruitment effort and to highlight the province's green energy p- potential. We heard from uh, Premier Andrew Fury this morning on uh, your VOCM Mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, but He was just getting into the whole green energy side of things when, uh, unfortunately, the time had elapsed, the morning show being a very, very busy time of day. Uh, So I offered the Premier an invitation to uh, come on and join me now. Well, Premier Fury, you just came back from a trip to uh, London and the United Arab Emirates, and I know there was a number of things discussed there. We've been talking a lot about recruitment, but you also talked about uh, energy and clean energy, uh, green energy. What was the discussion like around that, and why have that conversation in Dubai, of all places? Uh, well, it's it, believe it or not, uh, Dubai and UAE uh, more broadly as a country shares a lot of similarities with uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. And, and while they have uh, admittedly uh, more significant uh, fiscal power, uh, the makeup of their economy uh, has some uh, significant similarities, uh, including uh, the, the oil and gas sector and, and how that uh, fuels their, their economy. Uh, but they are also looking uh, towards the future. Uh, So similar uh, to us here in Newfoundland and Labrador, we're looking to decarbonize the fuel of today, recognizing the importance of our petroleum products on the world stage of being lower carbon footprint, uh, having a lower carbon footprint uh, than others, while investing in in creating uh, the fuels of the future. Um, So they obviously have uh, relied on heavily on oil and gas um, uh, in the past to create an, a, just an incredible amount of wealth. Uh, so right now, for example, they have trillions, that's plural, and starting with a T, trillions of dollars looking uh, for a place to live. Uh, they have this excessive amount of capital that's looking to be deployed around the globe in the green transition. Uh, so they were their state owned agencies like adnoc and Mazdar um, were very keen to hear our position uh, not just by the way with respect to our oil and gas uh, product, but they were interested in that, but more interested in uh, our, our the ability for us uh, to produce uh, hydrogen uh, largely for export uh, given our strategic uh, position in the world. And strategic position being, you know, our geographic location, the proximity to Europe and the Middle East, uh, the pro- in terms of shipping lanes, uh, deep sea ports, fresh water, and of course, the key element in all of this is is, is the strong, reliable wind. 
Um, so they, it, it was a, an incredible uh, discussion, um, especially for what I think we would all perceive to be, you know, the oil and gas capital of the world, you know, within the Middle East, uh, to see how they are forward-looking in, uh, in in the placement of capital and the, and the, the long-term horizons that they look at with respect to um, energies and in different energy sources in the future. Very exciting. Uh, a lot of similarities, a lot of opportunity. And really, Linda, I, it confirms to me why, why Newfoundland and Labrador needs to make these, these trips. You can imagine... In the UAE, they can deploy this capital anywhere they want um, around the world, and they're not. They're in a such, they're in such a surplus position and such an enviable enviable position that they're not sifting through every single micro jurisdiction around the world. Every single they're they're not even combing through every national jurisdiction, let alone the subnationals. And so to be able to get there to uh, pitch what Newfoundland and Labrador has uh, on both sides of the equation, uh, non-renewables and renewables, uh, and to develop a relationship w- with uh, key players in the industry there is important. Uh, relationship building uh, is important. Awareness is important. And hopefully uh, this will lead to further trade missions with the UAE, uh, stronger partnerships, and um, and ultimately lead to uh, an attractive place for them to deploy their capital. So who specifically did you meet with, and um, and how did that come together? Sure. So whenever we travel abroad, we work with uh, the Canadian Embassy, but we also met with... Uh, the Canadian UAE uh, Business Coalition, um, and they helped uh, establish uh, working meetings uh, amongst uh, uh, three uh, main state-owned agencies uh, or partially state-owned agencies, uh, one uh, being uh, the principal oil and gas, um, or one of them. They have multiple uh, principal. Uh, they have multiple principals in the oil and gas space. Um, called ADNOC, and then we had uh, we met with uh, their green transition and uh, renewable uh, diversification company called Mazdar, and uh, we met with a uh, with the head of their transmission uh, development company uh, as well, and they deploy their different they deploy capital, for example, around the world and building transmission lines. Uh, for example, they just did a uh, what would normally be a, a non-economical project running a cable line from uh, renewable sources in uh, the desert of Morocco to an undersea cable to uh, the United Kingdom, for example. So um, uh, lots of uh, – when you have that kind of capital and when you have that kind of risk profile, there's lots of interesting uh, projects that you can be involved with around the globe. And so it was uh, it was important to to, to meet with them and, 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 and show them what Newfoundland and Labrador has to offer. Uh, but I want to stress how important it is to have those relationships as well. So in terms of investment, would they invest in other companies already doing the work here or would they set up something of their own interest? Well, both are possibilities, of course. Um, uh, you know, we're lucky to have uh, several different successful proponents in the wind to hydrogen space here in the province. Uh, so there will be a heightened awareness of that for them and and looking at uh, where they are going to invest. 
Um, there's also, you know, other uh, exciting opportunities for them in the in the critical mineral space um, uh, and how that intersects with the green transition. Um, I think that this was really the the first of what I hope is is uh, numerous different uh, trade missions to the UAE. Um, they place a lot of emphasis on building trust and relationships, uh, almost uh, superseding the business case for some investments. And um, and we have uh, we have exactly what they are looking towards in terms of. Uh, the green transition uh, and uh, the combination of welcoming uh, geopolitical environment here, the regulatory environment, political environment, and uh, and relationships could make it for an exciting and attractive place for them to invest. And I understand that uh, on a separate note, your uh, recruitment um, efforts uh, met with some success, some offers made there? Absolutely. It was very uh, successful. And, and thank you to the the hardworking uh, women and men who are involved in the, in the team of recruitment uh, in the UAE. We uh, were, of course, part of an Atlantic Canadian mission, uh, Atlantic Canada mission there to uh, attract healthcare workers back to or to uh, Canada in general. And uh, what people may not realize, what your listeners may not realize, is there's no path to citizenship necessarily for some of these healthcare workers within the country of the UAE. Uh, consequently, they are often looking for more, a more stable, uh, uh, a more stable environment, a more stable country that they can see a path to permanent citizenship. Um, so they were uh, very excited about uh, Canada, very excited about Newfoundland and Labrador, and I'm happy to say uh, 63 offers or more were made to nurses, uh, half of whom are already uh, exam-ready, if you will, credentialed-ready, uh, two pharmacy technicians and three radiation technologists. So um, this will, while they seem like small numbers, uh, sometimes the gaps uh, throughout the province are not large as a quantum. It's when the sum is put together that they look large. But so what we have to do and will continue to do our, our best in uh, recruiting and retaining people here in Newfoundland and Labrador, um, we will uh, still be looking abroad uh, to uh, to retain the talent that is abroad here to Newfoundland and Labrador and support, by the way, the people working in the healthcare system here at home. You touched on it there, but what would attract someone from the United Arab Emirates to this province, particularly in terms of um, competition with salaries there? Because I would imagine the salaries there are very high. The salaries, of course, are are, are higher, um, uh, but uh, you can imagine if you uh, if you've left your home in let's say, uh, India or Pakistan, and gone to the UAE. And every year you have to renew a visa. And uh, there is definitively no path for you to call this place that you're working in home. Like when you're done, you have to leave. Uh, and you have to renew your 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 visa every single year, every few years. Uh, then that may not be a, an attractive uh, place to live. And while it's in addition to that, while the salaries are high, the cost of living is is, is quite high as well. The society there, in general, with with uh, with the excess uh, with the excess of oil and gas in the capital, is quite opulent. And so uh, the the numeric 
and the numeric bottom line of your salary may be high, but your purchasing power may be reduced. Um, so what we noticed really uh, was attractive to people in just casual conversations was uh, simple things that we may take for granted here, like uh, uh, no traffic. So some of these people come from, you know, have come from Delhi uh, and now are in a, a bigger city of Dubai. Uh, they have to uh, live on the outskirts in an apartment, and um, the traffic can be a, a real uh, hindrance uh, to them and their family. Obviously, we, we uh, don't have that here. Uh, although sometimes waiting at two traffic lights can sound frustrating. It's not a two-hour commute, um, as some of these people experience. The, the vistas, the open landscape, the lack of pollution, um, all are very attractive for people. The focus on family here in Newfoundland and Labrador, um, the welcoming, uh, you know, the fact that we are so welcoming as a society, opening our hearts and homes and being able to share uh, stories like uh, like Come From Away that have been recognized around the world was all an attractive pull uh, for for these medical professionals. On top of that, them recognizing that we have uh, an aggressive healthcare agenda that is uh, transformational uh, uh, help them realize the commitment that the province and the premier in particular plays uh, in, in trying to create a, a new system, which uh, for some of them uh, certainly was an exciting uh, prospect. Premier Andrew Fury, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. Well, coming up, a new life for the shipyard in Harbor Grace. We'll get an update from OCI President Blaine Sullivan. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, it was once touted as a real success story in Conception Bay North, but Harbor Grace Ocean Enterprises, which had been building and repairing boats, ran into some trouble during the pandemic and sought creditor protection late last year. Ocean Choice International has been selected by the Monitor as a successful bidder for that operation. President of OCI, Blaine Sullivan, joins me now. Well, Blaine Sullivan, um, tell us, you seem to be interested in the uh, Harbor Grace uh, shipbuilding facility there. What are your plans? Yeah, well, I, I guess my intentions are uh, are to uh, to finalize a sale if possible and to continue on the business of the yard as it has been in the past and build on the projects they've done and, and try to improve it and grow it over time and certainly want to, you know, uh, work with the people there. They've they've put out some very fine products, and and uh, you know that's certainly interesting. It's been touted in the past, of course, as you know, as a as a real success story there, and uh, uh, just uh, the whole idea of uh, COVID and other things um, sort of came against them. So, do you hope to continue to build on that, uh, you know, successful base? Yes, definitely. I mean, you know, they've put out some really high-quality vessels and they're, you know, have a good location, a good workforce there and certainly would, uh, certainly looking forward to uh, getting an opportunity uh, to to work with them. So what's the earliest you could uh, possibly take over there? Well, I understand, uh, you know, I've been selected by the monitor, apparently, and the highest bidder. 
and they need to uh, to get approval of the court to go and complete a sale and and I assume uh, you know if you're successful with that today I'd say there is some logistics involved so I guess uh, three weeks plus or minus a week I guess to conclude a sale and and then we uh, I should be able to get going. So what's your message to the workers there in particular, I suppose, and, and the residents of Harbour Grace? Well, we, you know, just hopefully we can all work together in, in a good spirit to to uh, to build on what's done there and, you know, to build up the yard and, and to make it uh, a success and uh, a good place to work and a, and a good uh, corporate citizen in, in Harbour Grace. Do you see this as uh, complementing your existing operations? Uh, it's it's uh, really a potential service supplier to our existing uh, operations. We, you know, we have uh, we have owned ships in uh, in Bodenel Marine and in uh, Ocean Choice. I guess we'd have to compete for that business and uh, as well as any other uh, shipbuilding or, or repair business that's that happens to be uh, in the area. And what attracted you to it? Well, uh, I've, I was familiar with the yard. They, they built a boat for our aquaculture company in El Marine, and I was impressed with the quality of the build. And uh, a number of years back, they'd done the conversion on the catcher shock from a shrimp vessel over to a groundfish vessel, and, and that went quite well at the time. And... Uh, so on, you know, I've been following the yard along, and um, you know, know the yard from a, a little bit of a distance. And uh, when it went up on uh, on bids, there's lots of stories that, you know, it may not operate, and uh, you know, there could be sold in pieces and things like that. So I, I think uh, certainly wanted to to stay as an ongoing concern in the area, and started to look at it, and it's uh, really probably surprised myself that I actually bid on it to be quite honest it was it's not something I had been looking at for a long time Blaine Sullivan no doubt we'll be hearing a lot more in the coming weeks uh, thank you very much okay thank you very much and Blaine Sullivan, of course, is the president of OCI. The sale has not uh, yet gone through, but the uh, monitor in that particular um, uh, court process has uh, selected Ocean Choice International as the successful bidder for that operation. And uh, as uh, Blaine Sullivan said, it is surprised even himself that he put a bid in on that uh, facility, which has uh, really been a, a success story. Uh, COVID looks like uh, got the better of it with uh, you know the the huge uh, spike in prices and everything and you know once you put your um, uh, you know put your contract in place and then all of a sudden there, the the cost of everything goes through the roof there's really no catching up uh, so um, uh, hopefully very good news for the people and workers there in Harbor Grace well something that uh, a lot of people especially in this industry have been watching very closely Bell Media is ending multiple television newscasts and making other programming cuts after its parent company announced it was cutting 4,800 jobs and selling 45 of its 103 regional
regional radio stations. Weekday noon newscasts at all CTV stations being scrapped except in Toronto. And the company is cutting all 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. newscasts on weekends on all CTV and CTV2 stations except in Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa. Bell says it effectively sold off half of its radio portfolio because, as they put it, it's not a viable business anymore. Carleton University journalism professor Dwayne Winsex, however, says new ownership could be beneficial for the divested stations. That's because the buyers are mostly well-established, smaller, regional, and local broadcasting stations that are more connected to the community. So um, something to be watching very closely. And there's been a lot of... Um, different um, things happening in the um, broadcast um, industry in across Canada and around the world, particularly since COVID. Uh, something else that the, the world has been watching, the man Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is named to lead the country's military, has played a key role in some of Ukraine's biggest victories in its war with Russia, including overseeing the successful defense of the capital in the early days of the invasion. Colonel General Alexander Sursky, who has been commander of Ukraine's ground forces, took over the head job on Thursday at a very challenging time. With the war poised to enter its third year, can you just imagine? Morale is low. The military is facing shortages of ammunition and personnel, and Kiev is struggling to maintain support from the West. The choice of Sursky is hardly a surprise, as few in the Ukrainian military have the experience and know-how to fill the role, dragging into its third year. I don't think any of us anticipated uh, that this uh, particular um, war would last this long. No, um, and also I, I still wondered about it while everything's been happening elsewhere in the world. You remember like every single, when it first started, I mean, it was on 24-7, but then, you know, other things seemed to be taking priority in other wars, and so Ukraine was on the back burner and you didn't hear from it. But I still can't believe it's been three years and really not getting daily coverage either. Like it's... It blows my mind. Because I, I suppose, uh, and, you know, rightfully or wrongfully, uh, our attentions have been, you yes. know, placed elsewhere right now. There's so much going on in the world, not the least of which is what's happening in, in Israel and Gaza. Gaza. So, um, you know, of course, that's what garners a lot of attention. And when something bogs down to that level and there's no real, you know, nothing to report we'll say one way or another except right. that it is continuing it's still continuing and still um, it becomes a lot more um, uh, difficult to keep sort of the the world's attention on that kind of thing and that's one of the things that Volodymyr Zelensky has been facing now because he's been getting a lot of support from the west in that in that fight but um, the western world appears to be kind of okay what sorry preoccupied with other things that are that? happening oh and donald trump <laughs> yes that's right so um yeah it's it's a difficult difficult situation and uh, of course we have so many ukrainians now among us here in newfoundland and labrador uh, seeking refuge from all of that uh so our thoughts of course with all of them as this continues because no doubt they still have family and friends you know you know living with a great deal of uncertainty and it's still a love to go 
back to the way it was. Of course, of course. Because this might be their home for now, but I'm sure that their their heart is still in Ukraine. And of course, then there's the whole um, very difficult reality of knowing that the life you knew and the places mm. that you knew not are no there. more. Yeah, it's it's different. Uh, yeah, very difficult indeed. Well, we're up to news time now with Noah Shepard. You're listening to News Talk. When we come back, we're going to tell you a little bit of, about a really interesting uh, business success story right here, made in Newfoundland and Labrador. When we come back, right after this. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. Five thirty to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. And we are back. And regarding that situation in Cowan Heights, is a difficult one for sure because this is around the time of day when people are heading home and uh, there's a lot of people live in that area. It's a residential area, as we all know. Um, and the area is cordoned off for the time being. Uh, we don't know the exact nature of it, but it's a, enough of a concern that police are asking people to stay away and to uh, stay put inside their homes. So um, we will give you an update on that scenario uh, as it becomes available. But of course, these things take time. We don't know exactly what uh, is uh, involved in this particular situation. Um, and... Um, you know, it's just no way of knowing when when that may conclude, when the road may reopen. We don't know. I noticed some of the run clubs have moved their uh, destinations. We're supposed to run around uh, the Cowan Heights area and obviously can't now. So they're moving it in other areas of St. John's to be safe. Yeah, thankfully, I think the schools mm -hmm. were closed in the area today anyway. There was mm -hmm. a, like a, a PD day, so to speak. So that uh, not as uh, great a, a factor, but uh, still, uh, you know, people who are used to just about walking their around even in the yeah. area can't do it and now you know that area is cordoned off so um we'll keep you up to date on that if and when we get an update um uh this evening so um You'll, you'll recall uh, about a year or two ago, there was a real flurry and flood of uh, big announcements regarding MOUs and partnerships formed with this uh, diamond group of companies, the company that now, or the uh, person who now owns the airport in Stephenville. Um, but none of those uh, appear to have come to fruition, uh, some of these uh, partnerships that were announced that, uh, you know, a year or two ago. One of the companies Diamond Group originally announced a partnership with was Altomax, a St. John's-based drone service provider. Well, that partnership came to naught, but Altomax is going strong and is expanding its business. Chief Operating Officer with Altomax, Steve Priestley, joins me now. Well, hello, Steve. Hello. So uh, tell us a little bit now about what Altamax Technologies is uh, doing these days. You've been involved in, uh, in providing uh, drone services, uh, but you're expanding. What's going on? Yeah, so uh, Altamax, we're based here in St. John's, Newfoundland, Labrador, and we've been able to grow in the last, uh, in the last small time frame. Uh, within the last year, we've really focused our assets and prioritization on supporting the energy sector, not just here within Newfoundland and Labrador now, but been able to expand globally. Um, in the past year, um, we've recently opened up an office in Abu Dhabi, UAE, to support the energy sector within the Middle East and Africa. 
as well as we've really focused in on the compliance side of drones, uh, especially on the commercial side, and we've actually become the first global certification body for ISO 21384-3 for unmanned flight for operational procedures. All right, you know what that means, but what does that mean? <laughs> Essentially what that means is there's a there's a certificate or there's a an ISO standard for unmanned flight for drone programs, which means um are drone programs flying safe? Are they do they have the standard operation procedures in place to do so? Uh, when the pandemic hit, we actually really wanted to take a big focus on uh, compliance ourselves because we do fly offshore. However, we also fly over critical infrastructure across North America and globally. So we wanted to become ISO certified. What we came to realize was there was actually not a certification body to certify us um, anywhere in the world. So we spent about two years um, becoming a certification body ourselves. And just earlier last year, we uh, achieved that status. And currently, any company globally that wants to have their drone program certified actually have to come to Ultimax, based here in St. John's, Newfoundland, to um, do that certification process. So it is a, a giant success for us. That's fascinating. Did you ever imagine that you'd be taken in that kind of a direction? Uh, I did not. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of unique just because in, in the last uh, year alone, um, our company, um, which is based, or sorry, in the last year alone, our company, which has a strong Newfoundland and Labradorian workforce, has we've been able to work on five continents, we've worked in over 20 countries, and we worked on so many different unique projects, uh, often supporting the energy sector, but also in the compliance side of things. Uh, a lot of people have trust issues when it comes to drones. And what Ultimax is trying to do is be a leader within the industry to try to um, fortify the kind of strategic growth of the industry itself for commercial use. Well, that's it. You said uh, the, the trust issue, because I think a lot of people, when they think about drones, they think about military or spy applications. So, uh, you know, in, in terms of commercial use, what kind of things are they used for? Uh, we use them for a lot of commercial inspections. So we do a lot of unique work such as we do confined space inspections with drones. So we can actually fly inside of tanks. We can fly inside of ships. We can fly down in sewers, historically places where workers would have to go work in confined spaces for long periods of time. Now we can put drones in there and do that work where there's no such thing as job loss within within that market. The same crews are still going in making those confined space inspections, but now they only have to be within a confined space for a very minimal amount of time instead of extended periods. We also do a lot of work um, where over critical infrastructure at heights, so we can do stuff like water towers, cell towers, uh, utility inspections, same thing historically where you have workers being working at high t uh, sorry at heights with rope access teams. Now we can do a lot of that work looking for kind of anomalies and then a crew can be dispatched to those areas for very short periods of time. So for us it's it's not about um, as you as you said, it's not about some of those issues. For us it's more about commercial inspection and making the workflow much safer. And is there an increasing demand for these types of services? There is. Uh, just our company was founded here within the province in 2018. Uh, since that time, we've opened up an office in Toronto, Calgary, Surrey, BC, Bellingham, Washington, now Abu Dhabi, as well as Ireland. We've been able to kind of expand and continually, continuously grow um, just based on so many unique opportunities we've been able to have.
And how did you get involved in this type of business? Um, myself and uh, my business partner, we had an environmental company um, where we started using drones. But what we really did was take a look at the market and really noticed um, the drone market is changing and emerging day by day, um, and the technology is increasing day by day. But we really noticed a gap at the top for kind of a company that can do things safely, but really we also noticed a lack of, uh, we noticed a gap in the market when it came to the compliance side of drones as well. So we really n- understand some of these issues and we we know the market is going to continue to emerge, but we also know that there's much safer ways to do some of this. Based here in Newfoundland, um, we understand the energy sector, but we also understand that we can do inspections much safer and unique. So a lot of times it gets extremely exciting for myself and our team just doing what we call a proof of concept when a client will come to us with an idea and say can you use drones for this and for us it's a unique opportunity to try to find those answers room for further expansion uh i sure hope so (laughs) we're we have we have full plans to continue to expand in fact uh, uh two weeks from now i'm heading over to norway for a preliminary trip to look at the the market in the north sea to to do an assessment of maybe potentially Ultimax can open up an office there as well. And with the, these international interests, do you plan to stay located right here in Newfoundland and Labrador? Yes, we've made it our corporate mandate to uh, grow from here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Right now, our other offices are primarily being staffed um, by people from here. We've hired graduates from um, post-secondary institutes here within the province primarily, and they've had the opportunity to travel the world. Um, We've had people in Africa, Europe, uh, the Middle East, um, throughout North America, uh, and in the Arctic all in the last year alone. Exciting stuff. Steve Priestley, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. No problem. And Steve Priestley is the Chief Operating Officer with Altomax. So uh, interesting to hear about a company doing really well, seeing a uh, gap in the market and uh, filling it. It's uh, really encouraging to hear. Well, we have an update on that situation in Cowan Heights. One man has been taken into custody, and the uh, situation on uh, Dunterra Cat, uh, Crescent has been peacefully resolved. Um, area residents can resume normal activities, a continued police presence is expected in the area while the investigation continues. So that uh, situation has been peacefully resolved. One man taken into custody. Area residents can go about their regular business. And if you happen to be driving home to Cowan Heights and wondering if you're going to be delayed, um, you can uh, head right on home. Go about your normal activities. You can uh, continue to see a uh, police presence in the area as they continue their investigation. But that situation has come to a peaceful conclusion. Good to here. Well, when we come back, as you know, and you and I have spoken about this before, Claudette, uh, because we had some forecasted bad weather that didn't happen, quite materialize the way a lot of people anticipated. Mm-hmm. We were kind of expecting a real dumping of snow in the metro region and it didn't happen. Schools were closed, but that's always a precautionary thing. I think I'd rather they close schools and the weather not yeah you know turn out the way it's supposed to be rather than keep the schools open and then the weather whoa wait a minute it's a lot worse 
what, which we saw in Corner Brook mm-hmm. not too long ago. So uh, I was wondering what kind of a process is involved in making those kinds of decisions. Uh, so I reached out to uh, the people involved in that, and we'll get a little update when we come back. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we are back. And in case you uh, missed it, that situation in Cowan Heights has now been resolved. One man taken into custody uh, peacefully and uh, residents and uh, uh, people who drive around the area can go about their regular business once again. Um, Well, we, as we know, there was a a forecasted storm that was supposed to have taken place on Tuesday. Schools in the metro region were um, closed, but... um, the weather kind of fizzled out. It didn't really amount to much. Um, so what goes into deciding if uh, school goes ahead or gets canceled because of the weather? We saw a situation in Corner Brook not that long ago where uh, there were a, a, six, uh, a steady stream of these uh, snow squalls that just never let up. And that caused some real problems in trying to get kids home from school because they decided to open the schools not thinking it was going to amount to very much. Um, so what goes into the deciding if a school goes ahead or gets cancelled because of the weather. Assistant Deputy Minister of Education for Educational Operations, uh, Terry Hall, joins me now. Well, Terry, it's a not so bad a day out there now, but of course we're into the winter and you never know what's going to happen. Um, and we've seen some uh, storms that have caught us by surprise and we've seen some storms that have turned out to be duds. What kind of a uh, process uh, does the uh, do uh, school administrators and the like do to try to determine whether or not schools should be, in fact be open? Uh, th- thanks, Linda. Um, first, before I jump right into that, I do still want to acknowledge that, uh, you know, when we when we have to make these decisions, we realize they can be frustrating for families. So, uh, you know, we we do acknowledge that having to possibly change their change their uh, daily routine. But I assure you, decisions are done with the safety of students and staff uh, top of mind. So the the, the process itself. Um, you know, we, we make evidence-based decisions, and what I mean by that is we get the best data and information we can uh, that's available to us by our provider, and uh, we look at the parameters uh, that we look for to make a decision. So it's not just, you know, get, getting up, looking out, and deciding, yeah, we'll have school or won't. Uh, you know, we, we stick to evidence-based because that uh, ensures consistency. So we'll watch a forecast for for a couple of days leading up to a potential forecasted event. Early uh, the morning of uh, the particular event uh, supposed to happen, uh, it's an early start, around 4 a.m., we'll receive the most up-to-date forecast from our forecast provider. Um, That will lead to a phone call between 5.30 and 6 uh, to discuss with the weather provider to make sure that we have full disclosure as to the forecast. Uh, Also around that time, we have people that will have a chat with municipalities, roads, transportation staff, all to get their input in terms of uh, their part that they play in in a weather event and, and safety from their point of view. And then we look at parameters. So we consider the snowfall, the amount, uh, the intensity of what the snow is going to be in terms of uh, how rapidly it's going to accumulate, uh, the timing of when it's supposed to start. 
we look at wind conditions and of course visibility and uh, you know we we analyze all of that to ultimately come up with a decision when you uh, talk about a weather provider, I assume you're talking about a meteorologist or a meteorological service. Yeah, so we have a uh, we have a contracted service. It's an environmental firm called Wood, and uh, they specialize in weather forecasting. So they provide us uh, forecasts every day, and uh, you know, uh, leading up to an event, uh, we can get uh, we can get them more frequent uh, sometimes, uh, so as we can uh, keep track as we get to a potential uh, event. And what are some of the considerations here, um, you know, um, uh, road conditions, you know, um, uh, dismissal times, those kinds of things? Yeah, it, it is. So when we when we look at these early in the morning to try and make the decision as early as possible to, to give uh, families ample time, um, we do look at, uh, as I said, the snow. So if the snow is, uh, you know, already started or what the timing is due to start, we look to see what is the projected accumulation for the school day and what's the intensity of the snowfall and the wind conditions when we're supposed to have uh, our students and staff on the road, either on a bus, uh, bus getting to school or even in their own transportation. Um, and uh, that translates to the snow and the wind translates to visibility. So if we get a reduced visibility, that is also an indicator that it's unsafe that uh, for people to be driving if they, if they can't uh, have the appropriate visibility. Um, ultimately, then, when we look at all of that, there's a decision, and, and based on the time, and uh, you know, if uh, if snow is going to start, um, if we're if it's uh, projected to start. For example, 9.30 to 11 will determine it's not feasible to try and get two or three hours in and then bring them home because we could run the risk of not being able to run buses if it comes on really quick. Um, we'll make a decision that potentially we can open all day based on the forecast or, um, you know, times we say school is closed all day because we just we, we just looking out for the safety and the ability to keep, uh, to keep students uh, and staff home safe versus the risk of not being able to get them home. So there you have it. Just uh, some of the considerations made when uh, determining whether or not to cancel school or send kids home early or keep them in school altogether. So um, I don't envy anybody those kinds of decision-making processes. And no matter what you do, really, someone's going to say you did something wrong. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who suddenly have to make arrangements if they're, especially if they've got uh, elementary or primary school age children, uh, to keep them safe. Wouldn't it be nice if every place of work had their own daycare so kids, parents didn't have to worry about that? Oh, man, wouldn't that be brilliant? I mean, uh, there's lots and lots of people who work uh, and don't get snow days, an awful lot of people, So, because uh, we need those services to keep going. You know, if you have a certain type of job, it's fine. You can go home. An office-type job, maybe at Confederation Building, something like that. You know, you... They usually say we're closing Confederation Building. Off you go. Uh, but uh, there's an awful lot of other places, hospitals, 
healthcare, you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of things uh, where you have to stay on. I would like to think that managers will understand that if they've lived at all in Newfoundland and Labrador, because I would suspect that uh, a lot of parents are f- having that anxiety. Oh, I have to call work now and tell them I can't come in because I have no child care. So, yeah, I'm sure that, uh, you know, those conversations need to be open um, and you have to have them um, transparently, I think, with your manager. Yeah, and, and you can't keep child care centers open either because, right. you know, then you run the risk of having these little ones on the road with their parents and trying to get them back and right. forth and all of that stuff. So, yeah, it's it's a difficult situation and, uh, um you know, there's no, really no winning. So (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I've been there a dozen times or more. So I totally, totally uh, get it when you, you know, suddenly look at the phone, you're like, "Uh Oh, (laughs) what do I do now? (laughs) What do I do? Right. Anyway, there you go. Well, uh, are you a Swifty? You know, I, it's funny you should ask that because I asked myself this morning, if anybody were to ask me if I was a Swifty, what would I say? Because I like her music and I was actually a big fan when she was in country before she actually did the best thing for her career, which was to go pop. So I would say that I like her work, but I'm not like this person who hangs on to every lyric and joins groups and is you know fangirl over i mean her allure is like anybody i I compare it in in some ways to like celine dion right celine dion fans are ardent fans like really like elvis fans ardent fans you know you're not going to move anybody Really? Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, there is little, whether you are a Swifty or not, yeah, you, you have to her. appreciate you do. the industry that she has created for herself. She and is her own one woman industry. And how um, influential she is. I mean, she's actually influencing the uh, betting for Super Bowl. Uh, wherever she goes, the economy just drives up. So it seems like anything that she touches turns to gold i wonder if that includes travis kelsey <laughs> <laughs> well, well she's got sunday she's got the midas touch uh, yeah. no doubt uh, the ceo of canada's largest movie chain says 2023 was undeniably the year of taylor swift but even though the pop star's movie of her era's concert tour de- delivered massive audiences it wasn't enough to stop cineplex from posting a nine million dollar loss in its fourth quarter swift's film was cineplex's number one movie in the fourth quarter and the industry's biggest concert film of all time wow good for her of she worked all hard. time mm-hmm. that is extraordinary it is i just cannot believe how <laughs> successful she is i guess with hard work dedication great parents who you know really sat behind her and encouraged her and she's just i i heard that she's great with her her the people that she worked with um you know like the people who would drive the crew to the different concerts and stuff just well respected so good for her spoken like a true swifty claudette oh you see? are a swifty there you go <laughs> i've just dubbed you i dubbed thee. uh so there you go i'll be back uh, we'll be back tomorrow uh for for our friday edition of news talk do join us then thanks for listening everyone bye bye for now